Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the From the Stands podcast. I am Ian, joined as always by my big brother, Sean. But, Sean, we have another special guest. We must be hitting it big here. Tell everybody who we got in the uh, got with us today. What's going on, everybody? We have a very special guest, one that uh, I have known for a while and have followed his career for almost as long. Welcome to the show, the host of the Anthony Bruno Show, Mr. Anthony Bruno. Anthony, how you doing, buddy? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing great, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, you and I have known each other for a while. We played hockey together back in the day, and we're, we're going to touch on that a little bit later on. But I got to say, of all the people that I played hockey with, that I would anyone would ask me and be like, this guy's going to be on TV talking for a living? I, I, you were the last guy. I, I don't think I heard you talk once. Poker player, professional poker player, yes. But I do, that brings us to the start of, of your career, Anthony. And it started in a very unique way. You started with Gillette Drafted. Am I, am I right? That's right. That's absolutely right. And by the way, I knew that was coming. I knew that was coming. You, you were going to say I, I was the last guy you'd ever thought you'd see on television. But you know what? Things happen. People break out of their shell you know, passionate about sports. And next thing you know, boom, I'm just on television. Right. So, but yeah, I mean, going back to Gillette drafted, that's kind of where I got my start. And, um, it was a very amazing experience. I mean, that is something that, I mean, I wish a lot of people could go through just like the emotional roller coaster of the whole show. Um, you know, being with all the people on the show, just going through, you know, production every day and, the highs and the lows. Uh, it was incredible. And, you know, back when I was 19 years old, I actually tried out for season two of Gillette Drafted. And I guess for people who might not be aware of the show, um, it was a show that started on the Score Television Network. Um, then it was on Sportsnet. And it, it was essentially a reality show um, to pick Canada's next sportscaster. And, you know, kind of going back to, I guess, high school, I want to say, you know, I was like 13, 14 that's kind of when I, I, I had it in my head that I wanted to do this. And as soon as I saw the show Gillette Drafted pop up, I was like, wow, this is, you know, this is a perfect opportunity. So I tried out season two when I was 19. Um, obviously didn't, didn't make it at that point, but I thought I actually did pretty good. The audition went well, you know, obviously didn't make it to the finals. Um, three years go by. And at the time I was 22 and I decided to try out again on season five. And uh, that season went pretty well. <laughs> that season, I'd say, went, I'd yeah, say it went okay. Say. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I am curious though, what sort of stuff did, you know, can you walk us through what that was like? Like what sort of stuff were you doing? You know, what, what got you drafted? Like, um, was there anything that they said, you know, stood out or how did that all look for you? Yeah, so I'll kind of take you guys back even a little bit further. So I was at the time, um, at Ryerson University taking radio and television arts. And in my second year, I was actually hosting a high school sports show on Rogers TV Toronto. It was all volunteer. Come on. And, and that, that, that's kind of how I got, you know, got my start. That's how I got all my reps. That's how I built all my experience. And you know what, what was fun about Rogers TV Toronto is that they just sort of threw you into the fire. So they'd be like, all right, Anthony, you're, uh, you're calling the uh, high school football city championship uh, later this week. Have fun. And I'm like, all right. Well, I've never done anything <laughs> like that, but okay. So that's kind of how I got all my experience. And then when I had tried out for the show, you know, even though I was 22 years old and I was one of the youngest guys 
auditioning that year, I always felt like I had the upper hand on a lot of other people just because, you know, I was taking it in school. So I had the experience that way. And then obviously I had, you know, all the experience on Rogers TV. So basically what happened is that um, I showed up um, downtown Toronto at the Eden Center and you had to come prepared with a sports rant. And my rant was actually on um, like, so wait, so wait, you had to pick a topic that made you upset and you had to rant and rave about it. Exactly. So you you could essentially come to the audition with, with any topic you wanted. And you know, basically, basically, Anthony, you were skip Bayless every day. Yes. Yes, precisely. (laughs) So, and you know, I thought about it for, you know, a good two, three weeks leading up to the audition, right? And I'm like, okay, what am I going to say to stand out? And I decided to kind of, um, put a sports media spin on it. And I kind of went off on intermission interviews in hockey, right? How guys are always like, you know, we got to give it 110% pucks and Puck, deep, pucks and deep. You know, go pucks hard to the deep. net, all that. And I kind of, you know, played off that and how ridiculous it was and how they, you know, sports media should, should try to freshen things up and change things. And they really liked it. So um, from that point, I ended up making the top 24 in Canada and they they went to, I believe it was like six different cities around Canada. It was, you know, Halifax, Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto, obviously. So from all of the people that auditioned, um, I don't know how many there were. I, I want to say maybe close to a thousand or something like that. They narrowed it down to 24 people. Then they brought all of those people down to Toronto, put us up in a hotel downtown. And then from there, we went through a process that they called boot camp where they essentially put you through a bunch of challenges where you had to, you know, they gave you like a sports quiz just to make sure that your knowledge was on point. You had to do um, like a talker with one of the hosts from Sportsnet. You would just do like a little studio conversation. Uh, They had you read off a teleprompter. They had you read highlights. So they kind of put you through the ringer. And then from that point, they picked the six best people and the six of us ended up making it onto the actual show and uh, and the rest, I guess, from that point is history. Now, did you find that when they're putting you through those exercises, did you find that that was, you know, now that you look back at it, and I guess it was, what, seven years ago, um, right? When you look back at it, do you look back at it and go, wow, what they were putting me through was actually really helpful. Those exercises were really good. They were good to get my reps up. Or is it, you know, like the equivalent of learning algebra in high school where you're just like, I don't know that I'm ever going to use that. So which, which, which way was it? No, at the time, I thought it was like super relevant to what was, you know, kind of happening in sports media, right? It was kind of like the fundamental things that you needed to do, right? If you wanted to be on TV, you know, you have to read off a teleprompter. And a lot of people like to make fun of, you know, sportscasters or, you know, news anchors are like, oh, he's just reading, you know, he or she's just reading off a teleprompter. Anyone can do that. It's actually a lot harder than it looks, believe it or not. For sure it is. Zero. <laughs> like what happens if you... What happens if you lose your place? Like uh, you that, Anchorman. Anchorman. You, I, there's 0% chance I'd be able to do this. Oh, 0%. and that happens, you know, way more often than you would think. That's happened to me, you know, during a live show where, you know, oh, the person who was rolling the teleprompter just sort of like lost track of the show. And I was just kind of making things up off the top of my head. So you have and to you got to kind of try to be as smooth as possible, right? Wow. But no, I, I thought that those challenges on, on Drafted were, were totally relevant to, you know, where sports media was at the time. You know, even like reading highlights and stuff. And it was, it was very intimidating because as you were doing it, um, the judges were just staring. They were literally like 10 feet away just staring at you. And it was just so pressure packed because you're like, oh, my God, everyone's watching me. If I screw up, like this is going to go on national television. 
Um, but uh, it was, like I said, I mean, it was a very emotional experience and, and something I'll never forget. It's funny, you know, I, I, so I went back and watched it and I watched it to see like the end, like when you, when you won and I'm looking at you and I can only imagine what you feel like in that moment. Like you look like, and I mean this in, in the best way, you look like you were going to shit your pants. Like, and I, and I know what I mean that I mean that like, it was like all of your hard work had culminated in this moment and I could see it on your face. You're just like, this is the biggest deal ever. And it was. And then when you won, like, it was so great. I actually felt bad for the other guy. Cause you know, that can't, it can't be fun. Um, but I remember just, I will never forget what your face looked like. Cause it was just amazing. Cause you know what? We'd all, we'd all be like that. We'd all be like that. So when, when they were announcing, you know, when they were doing that, do you remember the things that were running through your head at all? Oh my God. I remember it like it was yesterday. And you, like you said, it was seven years ago, but it, it seriously feels like, you know, it just happened and I will never forget it because, um, with, you know, I mean, I guess for people who didn't watch the show that night of the finale, they actually out of nowhere just gave us another challenge to do. And come on do like a live update and i remember in that moment when they had us do that i'm like these these guys are toast because i i had done that so many times you know you know through school and on rogers tv and i remember just having like this confidence that night like you know what just you're gonna win this thing i love that love that let anthony bruno cook and and it was and it you know like you know, I'm not going to lie. I was really, I was nervous, but it was a, it was a good nervousness that I had that night. And after doing that final challenge, I felt so good about it. You know, then you hear the feedback from the judges, but you're still thinking like anything could swing at this point, right? Like you don't know what the judges are thinking because you know, they're basing it on your whole body of work. Right. But yeah, I I remember that exact moment when, uh, when Greg Sansoni announced that I was the winner and it's funny because I've looked back and watched, you know, the same clip and some people would be like, Oh, I, you know, I thought you would have gone a little bit more crazy and lost your mind. And it was just like, internally, I was kind of going crazy, but I didn't want it in the moment. I, I yeah. didn't want to disrespect. You want to be professional. You know, the guy that was standing beside me. Cause at the end of the day, like he worked <laughs> his butt off for it too. Right. And Anthony, and throw like, a couple birds over at him and just be like, Hey, this is, I won this. Yeah. And, you know, maybe if I had done that, I would have gone like insanely viral at the time. But, you know, I, I kept it classy. I'm like, let's not get out of control here. But, uh, oh, yeah, it was that was a moment. I've never basically experienced a moment like that, you know, in my entire life. Like that was just incredible. Well, there's, there's a lot of your career that that we're going to touch on right now. And it, it not to harpen too much on the fact that, oh, my God, I couldn't believe it was Anthony Bruno up there. But I lived down by the score studios at the time. and. I look, I'm all, I'm literally at my condo watching the score, watching Gillette drafted. It was like the first episode. I'm barely paying attention. And a friend of ours who played on our hockey team, Anthony, uh, Mr. Mila looks over and goes, is that Anthony Bruno? And we, we were all in at that point. So, you know, the fact that we got to see, see that through was incredible, but it, it's the next stepping stone for you was Sportsnet. And um, and just remind me, cause you mentioned that you did the Rogers TV. I want to come back to that when, when we talk uh, in a little bit more detail about broadcasting and sports casting and things of that nature, but was it, it was right from j- drafted to Sportsnet, if I'm not mistaken, or like maybe a little gap. 
No, and you know what? It's actually kind of crazy how it all worked out because believe it or not, when I started, yeah, it, it was essentially drafted straight to Sportsnet, but believe it or not, I was still actually going to school, finishing my undergrad at the time. I was still at Ryerson and I had like, I don't know, it was like one final semester I had to do, which I finished while I was started working at Sportsnet, but I won the show in November, 2013 and then started at Sportsnet January 2014. So like it was essentially right away. Like they just they just basically throw you right into the fire. Well, and your role at Sportsnet was very very the way that I put it in my notes Anthony was you wore a lot of different hats. It wasn't like okay, go cover this one thing. Go be our person for this one thing. Like you did some work with Tim and Sid, you did some work with with Bob McCowan and you know, again, you were you were just kind of picking and choosing everything that you could were taking everything that they could give you, which obviously at the time is something that you want to do. You know, we just had on a member of Raptors Twitter and a uh, he was he worked at the score as well, Chris Walder. And one of the things that he talked about was just being malleable and being, you know, very flexible. And, and just if one thing you envision that you're going to do if it's not the path that it's taking you, just be be willing to adapt. And it, it seems like that was something that you were thrust into, which was like, try a bunch of different things. I know you're covering some stuff for the Olympics. You're doing some stuff for the Australian Open. You know, how was that experience for you being, you know, kind of all encompassing, but, you know, kind of a, a leader of many, but a specialist of none? How was that for you? Yeah, no, you nailed it there, Sean. I mean, that's pretty much what the situation was. I I wasn't responsible for one main thing. I was essentially wearing multiple different hats, right? And for somebody like me, you know, I'm not just a hockey guy or a basketball guy or a football guy. I enjoy, you know, a ton of different sports, right? So that was pretty cool in that I was able to to do a lot of different things. And you know what? Sometimes it was tough because you kind of didn't know what you were going to do next. You know, for example, like let's say you're, you know, you know, you're Tim McAuliffe for Sid Sixero and you're hosting Tim and Sid, right? You know, every single day you're sitting in one of those two chairs talking about the hottest topics in sports every single day, right? Like you have the same job day in and day out. Whereas for me, you know, it would be like two months you're doing one thing. And then for one month, we're going to have you do something else. And then you're going to cover the Australian Open and, and wake up every morning at, you know, 2, 3 a.m., be here by 4 a.m. And, you know, put, put in an eight to 10 hour shift. So, I mean, it, it was very interesting. You know what? Going into it, I knew that I was probably going to have to do different things. And I wanted to show them that I could do a lot of different things. And um, it was really fun. I even got to host the, the Plays of the Month in That's August. Right. I remember yes. because Jackie right. Redmond used to be the host of that yep. show. And she went on vacation. And they're like, hey, Bruno, you want to host the Sportsnet Plays of the Month? I'm like, yes, absolutely. And actually, what was really cool about that show is that they gave me so much creative control. Like I essentially got to pick all top 50 plays that month. And you know, you're working, Ron, with, that's awesome. You're working with a producer and an editor and you're kind of all, you know, debating back and forth. Okay. What play are we going to use? But they sort of gave me like the final say, like, Hey, this is your show this month. If you want this catch, you know, I remember actually the play of the month when I did it was Ezekiel Carrera's catch in Yankee stadium when he was playing for the Yankees at the time. But then he became a Blue Jay, and I don't even know what Ezekiel Carrera is up to now. But uh, no, it was cool. Like they they essentially gave you a lot of creative control, and and yeah, I mean, it, looking back, like it, it was real. It was a great experience just to be able to do a lot of different things and kind of find out what I liked the best. 
Um, but overall, it was a, it was an awesome experience there for sure. I just watched it, and I'm watching it now. The catch uh, was it was it uh, he was was he with the Tigers or was he with the Yankees? And it, oh, was you a- know what? You're right. He was yeah. He was with the Tigers, and I forgot who hit that ball in the center field. But he just Scherzer made, was like- pitching. It looks like uh, it looks like Jacoby Ellsbury, and that makes me happy because he's the Red Sox who abandoned us. Um, so that yeah, I, I just watched it now. I wanted to pull it back. That, that's an amazing play. I'm glad you got that one. Um, so you got so you sort of get it. You know, you're getting started. You're sort of doing all this this different stuff now. Now when you look at Sportsnet now, someone like Faisal Kamisa, it feels like he started doing the, you know, the, the updates that way too. It, were you guys, it was that similar to uh, what you were doing. And now he's, I think he's expanded to doing more stuff, but he started in the updates too. Do I have that right? Oh yeah. He was essentially the guy that, um, you know, he, he kind of played a role in, in sort of training me actually when I was Come there. On. I mean, he was, he, Faisal was an awesome guy great dude, great broadcaster. And when I started there, he was the guy doing the updates. So, um, you know, I would, I would watch him, you know, I remember the first week or two that I was there, you know, Faisal would be working with his producer and he'd kind of show me, all right, you know, we do this many updates per hour, just stay on top of the breaking news, you know, just kind of showing me the ins and outs. So that's, yeah, we were both sort of, um, doing the same thing at that time. And, uh, no, it was, uh, it was great to to work with a guy like that because we're you know we're both you know around similar ages, me and Faisal, right. and both coming up through the industry at the same time. So it was cool to you know to kind of go through that with with someone like him for sure. So Sportsnet then was obviously a huge opportunity, but then you sort of turned that into an even bigger uh, breakthrough position with with Global News. How was that transition where you're such a sports guy? you know, like you love it. And obviously it it was your whole path. And then, you know, you made an adjustment and, um, you know, went to something a little broader. How do, how was that for you? You know what, they're two very different places and both were, you know, amazing experiences, Sportsnet, obviously it's all sports all the time. Mm -hmm. And there was just a lot more sort of like-minded people there that I worked with, right? Because the, obviously the entire network is, is sports. And global news, obviously, their main priority is news. Luckily, while I was at global, I was doing sports, you know, every single day, which was awesome. And we sort of created a new team there. Um, it's the it was the multi market content team, and basically, what we were responsible for doing was um, doing sports casts for all the different global markets across Canada. So, you know, I was doing sports casts for Global Toronto, Global Montreal, Global Halifax, Global Winnipeg, Regina, and everything was centralized in the Toronto studios. So I had to essentially cover everything. So, you know, with like Saskatoon and Regina, I'm covering, you know, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. So I had to, I had to definitely key into the CFL. I mean, I, I've been a big football NFL guy my whole life, but um, being over there, I definitely had to kind of transition a little bit to to following more of the cfl it's a bit yeah, of a different R- game R- yeah r.i.p cfl sorry guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, you know and i in doing our research here anthony you know i i noticed that when it came to those spots that you did for sports for global news you know you were in charge of the writing the editing the uh, everything and presenting it all and you mentioned a little bit earlier that when you were at sportsnet when they gave you that kind of carte blanche to do the plays of the month and things like that it was just like all right 
you have some insight, you have a team, but like, do you? Did mm. something like that prepare you? And did you feel more comfortable moving into a more all-encompassing role at Global because of that? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, doing something like the plays of the month definitely prepared me for what happened at Global. But what I will say is that at Sportsnet, I mean, they essentially have like an army working on, you know, right. even just one game. Like, so for example, like, you know, a Leafs Columbus playoff game, right? You have someone who's, you know, just sitting there essentially watching the game, you know, marking in all, yeah, all of the, you know, important plays, the goals, the saves and whatnot. And then, you know, you're working with an editor, you're working with a producer, then you're giving that script to the talent. So you have so many people working on just one game, right? Whereas, you know, when I was at Global News, I'm essentially doing that all myself. And, you know, a lot of the times I'd be with a, a co-anchor, but the co-anchor I was with was doing the exact same thing, right? So, for right. example, on a Saturday night in the NHL, you know, one of us is watching the Leaf game, one of us, one of us is watching the Habs, and the other person has to, you know, watch the Jets game. And then, oh, the Raptors are on. Oh, wait, the Blue Jays are playing too. And you're, you know, oh, MLS is on as well. So you're watching like all of these things at once and you have to just do your best to sort of keep track of everything. So a lot of the time- Imagine doing not, that now. Imagine doing that now, post-COVID. Oh my goodness. It would just- What would you do? <laughs> oh, it'd be you'd a have disaster. To, you'd, have to hire for, you'd have to hire from the stands. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. You guys would be coming in <laughs> and, and writing all my scripts for me. That's exactly what would be going on. No, but it, it was like, it, I mean, it would get wild some nights, right? And I would literally have like my score app on my phone open tracking you know different games you know i'm on twitter and you know we have a bunch of tvs on in our newsroom but but still i mean it's so hard to track everything and you're just doing your best and you're trying to make sure that you're not missing anything important you know because there'd be times where you know something really big happened whether there was i don't know there was like an injury or or a big goal that you know you know you look away from the tv for like five minutes doing something else and you miss and then if you go to air that night and you don't have like one of the goals of the night in the NHL, right. you know, everyone right. thinks you're an idiot. So, or you, you a, a really, hit from behind Tom Wilson, something who knows, right. It, then you miss it. Exactly. If there's like, yeah, if there's like, you know, something that's going to result in like a 10 game suspension and you didn't have that in your show. Right. It's so there was always sort of the fear of missing something like that. So you always just had to stay locked in, but uh, yeah, that, that's why, you know, being a global allowed me to, to do and learn so many different roles in sports media. And that is just super valuable nowadays, especially. So you mentioned when you were with Rogers TV, you were doing some play-by-play things like that. And they give you like, I don't know, four or five days to prep and be like, Hey, good luck. Um, And then obviously you switched over to, you know, a more um, anchor type role with Sportsnet and things like that. Which did you prefer? I mean, I, I think I know the answer because you sort of followed the anchor path. Um, but what were your thoughts on play-by-play? Did, did you were there different challenges to play-by-play that you maybe won't see as an anchor, or what was that experience like? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And to be honest, I really love both. And obviously, you know, I, I kind of went down the anchor reporter path. But man, play-by-play, guys, it's a totally different beast. Like it is so difficult. I have so much respect for all these guys that, you know, never mind some of the, you know, the big names you hear on the national broadcast, right? 
you know, like your Joe Bucks and, you know, in hockey, your Jim Houston's and Chris Cuthbert's. But I mean, anyone doing play by play, the amount of prep you need to do and just you're, you're talking the entire game, right? I mean, yeah, some, at some points you're letting it breathe, right? I mean, you know, the best of the best, just know when to let it breathe and, you know, when to let, you know, the fans take over. And obviously that's not the case now. But Joe Buck's good with that. Yeah. And Excellent. you know what? It's funny because a lot of people have hated on Joe Buck for some reason. It's nonsense. I always, I, it's I nonsense. He's I awesome. He's, I think amazing. he's incredible. He's amazing at football and baseball. Like, he's just, he's just so good. Now he's doing golf as well. But um, yeah, he's freaking awesome. Haters. We want, so good. We, we want to take you down this path a little bit, Anthony, because, you know, you're obviously in sports casting as, as a profession. And it, it, I, I, we assume that it, since it's a profession, it's also something that is a hobby and a passion of yours. So what we want to do is we have a few questions based on that. And, you know, I know my brother's big on uh, inspiration and influence in your life. And obviously, a lot of times when it comes from uh, when it comes to this, a lot of people model themselves after someone. So I'll let him get to that in a minute. But there is one specific question that, that I'd like to ask you. And, and it's about play by play for specific teams, and potentially even national broadcasts. Do you subscribe that having a homer as your play-by-play slash color guy can be it can be or is a positive to the to the overall viewing experience or do you feel that having more of a uh, you know a, uh, a middle ground a, a switzerland if you will of uh, of a take is more impactful Let's think joe bowen versus jim Houston. to be honest i i like the homer i'm not gonna lie i i think I, mean, I think Joe Bowen does an incredible I'm job. I'm shocked by that. I'm and shocked I know by that. You would you would think someone who you know who's in the industry, you know, has been doing this now for a decade would you know kind of take more of the middle ground approach. But just the passion that comes through, you know, when you hear a guy like that, when you hear any I guess local guy calling the game, the passion's incredible. But I will say this: that there is also you know, a lot of, you know, national guys that do it very well and they get fired up for, for any play. And I, there's one guy who I love when it comes to baseball. I know we talked about Joe Buck, but Matt Vaskersian is, uh, he's great. Santa Maria. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah he's fantastic. He's <laughs> I fantastic. love, I absolutely love some of his calls and, and he'll just get fired up no matter what, anytime, you know, it doesn't matter what team it is. It doesn't matter which player hits a home run, makes a great play. That dude is just going to get so fired up and he gets the viewer excited. And I think, that's the most important thing is just knowing when to bring it to that level, but also knowing when to kind of, you know, not lose your mind on certain plays. And, and, and it's very, it's very difficult to do. And like I said, I mean, I don't think people understand how incredibly difficult it is to, to do play by play. I, I, by the way, I completely agree with you on the Homer side. Now, again, that's selfish. I'm a massive, See, hang on, and hang I on, love Joe hang on. but hang on, I also no, hang understand. On, hang on. Hang on. There's a line, right? To me, the line is like the White Sox radio guy where their team hits the White Sox hit a home run. The guy's having like a heart attack, like a moment in the booth. Okay. Then if let's say the Jays come up and let's say Vladdy hits a home run, he's like Blue Jays hit a home run two one White Sox. And, you know, like, that's not fun for everyone. So there has to be a line. I don't Joe care Bowen, if it's fun for everyone. No, but Joe Bowen. I'm watching no, my team. That's awful. That is awful. It's, well, and, and that's, that is, and listen, that's why on, they pull. That's bordering on unprofessional. 
That's bordering on unprofessional. That's why they pulled Joe Bowen because the Leafs were going much more national product. The Sportsnet put a crap ton of money into the national product of the NHL, and it made more sense to transition it that way. And if you're listening to a Leafs game on the radio, you are probably a diehard Leaf fan who wants to hear Joe Bowen's Holy Mackinac. I didn't think he was quite that much, or even the Anthony. Who's the Sabers play-by-play guy? Um, oh, Rick Rick Jenneret. Yes, yeah. So it, yeah. It, he's not quite that. Like he would give a holy Mackinac if if, if a if a Pittsburgh Penguin made a great play. But I agree with you on 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 that side of it, and I just think that it, it adds more to it. But again, Homer. But you know what? I will agree with Ian in the sense that like yeah, like those Chicago White Sox games, right? Like Hawk Harrelson, like you can put it on the board. Yeah, like. I mean, sure, that's, I, I, yeah, when, you know, like, he, obviously he's doing that when the White Sox hit a home run, right? You can go too but far. But for him to go that low when right. the other team does something, yeah, I give think me, that. Give me I, a I don't little like bit that. of balance. Give me yeah. the idea that you're, like, slightly a fan of baseball in general, not just Buck, your own team Buck doing Martinez. Buck Martinez is a homer, but also can go both, can go the other way. And I think that, you know, you met, mentioned Matt Baskersian, Anthony, and I, I personally, like, I love Joe Buck's calls, but, I also love Buck Martinez and also their feed, if anyone doesn't know in Canada, is like six seconds ahead of the Fox feed for the World Series. So I'll watch Vasgersian and Buck instead. But it's interesting to get that take. Ian, I know you had a question you wanted to jump in with as well. Well, no, my question is separate. Anthony, do you know the name Adam Amin? Works for ESPN. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he did the, uh, he I think he did the 2018 Women's Final Four. And um, I think it was Notre Dame hit a game winner. And I think it was Ongo Wale hit the game winner. And it was insane. insane. And he's a national guy. And there's actually a video of them. They're filming all the, the broadcast group. And there's three of them. And he's losing his shit. But he's a national guy. It's not like he has a stake in the game. You know, and to me, this is more of like a comment. To me, it's like, if you're a national guy, that's the response I want when something cool happens. I hate that if I'm watching a White Sox game and Vlad Guerrero does a backflip and catches the ball, he's be like, one out. Like, that's not fun. That's just not fun. I'm sorry. And, you know, but here's the thing, like, and I think when I first got into the industry, I was kind of holding back a bit in terms of showing which teams I liked, right? And obviously, listen, I'm a Toronto guy. I like all the Toronto teams. And when you think about it, it's like, why do you, you know, why would someone like me get into sports broadcasting? I love sports. There's certain teams that I followed growing up, like the Leafs and the Raptors and the Blue Jays, right? And it just gets to a point where it's like, okay, can we all just get over this? Like, I understand, you know, you know, trying not to be a total homer, but I think you're able to relate with your audience and be more authentic when they know, you know, where your allegiances lie. True. And I think, and I think that's where things are, are sort of going now where it's like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to go on Twitter. I'm going to start tweeting about the Leafs. Yeah. I'm a Leaf fan. It's like, get over it. Like that's the team that I watched growing up. That was my dad's favorite team. You know, that's, that's why I'm a Leaf fan. The same thing with the Raptors and the Blue Jays. Right. So I think we've reached a point now in sports media where it's, it's okay even if you're a broadcaster to show where your allegiances lie. And uh, yeah, I'm all for it at this point. Well, yeah. And I think again, you know, and not to harp on this too long because obviously we do have many things we'd like to talk to you about, but again, it's all about balance. And look, I find myself 
Um, I think Matt Devlin and Jack Armstrong and Leo too. I mean, I think they're all really, really great. Um, but you know, there are times, maybe not with Raptors basketball specifically, but there are times where if I'm somewhere, so I lived in Portland for four years, if the Blazers are on ESPN, I would much rather listen to Mike Breen, Jeff Van Gundy, Mark Jackson call that game than the Blazers guys. And you know, maybe that would be different if I was a Blazer fan. Blazers I fan, hear that. yes. Yeah, I want to hear that homerism. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like, and this is not a shot at the local guys. It's just the truth. Mike Breen is going to be better than whoever your, whoever your broadcast team is, period, end of story. So to me, it becomes like, who would I rather listen to? You know, just because I think Mike Breen's better. I don't know. Maybe that makes me weird. No, no, I think that's totally fair. I mean, I'm with you on that. Like, I mean, it's like we said, right? These national guys like Mike Breen or even like Mike Tirico, Joe Buck. Oh, I mean, they they problem. they get to where they are because they're that good, right? So, and those are guys like we talked about that have, you know, the ability to to stay balanced and and you know, get fired up when they need to. So, I know I'm with you on that. Like if Mike Breen is calling a basketball game, I'm just me. listening. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. So, so we've talked, we've already sort of talked about some of the guys we love. And to me that I have, I I just love everything about broadcasting. I love, um, we're so talent rich in that we're spoiled. Honestly, we are with the exception, the guy with the white Sox. but we're really spoiled. And I think, you know, I could, what about the guy with the reds? Uh, we're not going to mention, are we we going there? (laughs) (laughs) No guys, a guys, a clown. Um, so broadcast you know sean and i both worked in sales so broadcasting i always felt like was partly like sales we're in sales you know in order to find success you need to find your voice and part of finding that voice is finding what works for you and what doesn't and you know obviously it's through trial and error or whatever did you when you were developing did you find that you were basing the way that you broadcasted off of anybody like when you watch, you know, I know this, I know, I know I'm not American. I just lived in the U.S. For, for a while. But, you know, you watch someone like Stuart Scott, RIP, or you watch Scott Van Pelt, um, or even here, someone like Jennifer Hedger, Darren Detition, like legends in the game. You know, it's, are you basing how your voice is off, off them in a way? Like, are you stealing bits and pieces? Or do you just go in blank slate? I'm going to be me. So, I mean, going into it, I definitely took bits and pieces from some of my favorite broadcasters. And you know what? It's it's like any job, right? Where it's like when you first start it, I mean, you're just not going to be very good at it, like straight up. It doesn't matter what you're doing, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you have to put in the reps, put in the hours, work on your craft. And that's exactly how broadcasting is. But for me, I mean, I was the guy who woke up you know, every morning before school, you know, seven, seven, seven thirty in the morning, you know, I'm eating my cereal, watching sports center. I'm watching Darren Detition. Yes. You know, I'm watching Gino Retta on TSN, Jay and Gino. Dan, Anthony, you know, be, be, a company, be a company guy. There you go. Now you're a company guy. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I mean, and, and what you do is you kind of, you kind of just pull, you know, different things from all these guys. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's, it's so cliche and, you know, I've heard this a million times, just kind of, you know, working my way, you know, through the industry, you got to be yourself. And it's a lot easier said than done because it takes time. It really, really, truly does take time to find your voice and, you know, 
become who you are as a broadcaster. And I don't even think that I'm there yet. And I've, you know, I've been doing this now for, for essentially a decade and, and I'm not even there yet, but no, I, I absolutely took, you know, bits and pieces from, from different people. And even like you mentioned, like Stuart Scott, I mean, rest in peace, that dude was just a straight up Unbelievable. legend. The I best. Mean, he just so, so good when it comes to reading highlights, it didn't get any better than Stuart Scott. And yeah, and, and yeah, he, he was, he was, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, when I say that, you know, you're taking, you know, you're thinking of taking stuff from other people, you know, like legends in the industry. Stu is the, the all time, all time goat. But, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, you're going to be on Sportsnet and drop a booyah or, you know, he's cooler <laughs> than the other side of the pillow. I just mean, you know, I just mean, you know, are you picking up their mannerisms? Are you picking up, you know, when they choose to pause, when they choose Tendencies. to talk, like things like that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You're watching all those little things. And I think the biggest thing for broadcasters, this is something that I've done my whole career, is you have to watch yourself. And at first, you know, you're going to cringe. It's like the first time you hear your voice, the first time you see yourself on camera, you're like, oh, my God, do I really sound and look like that? But you really, really need to force yourself to watch the little things that you do, you know, like how you're moving your hands when you're pausing at certain times. You know, when you're accentuating, you know, certain words or phrases or things like that, right? And, and yeah, you absolutely watch these pros, right? Who have been doing it much longer than someone like me. And, you know, I, I would watch the little things that other people probably wouldn't pick up on, you know, like the random dude just sitting on his couch watching the highlights, whereas I'm actually like zoned in looking at these sportscasters being like, oh, he, I like the way. I like the way he wrote that on cam leading into the highlights. Like that was, that was really creative the way that, you know, he or she did that. Or I like that word, you know, he used it at that certain point in the highlight pack. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you always pick up these little things and, and you kind of try to incorporate it into your repertoire. But at the end of the day, you have to do what you do best and what suits, you know, your personality and, and it's a process, right? And, and you, and you discover it, you know, the more you do it and the better you become. So I'm going to give you a case study. I have a case study for you, Anthony. Okay. You are on the Sportsnet desk post. This sounds like homework. Post, post games, right? You are Ken Reed with Ivanka Osmak. You're sitting in for Ken Reed. Okay. Yeah. And you yesterday have to read off the news of the day, which obviously bigger than the Raptors win is the win of their president in what was going on with the Alameda County Sheriff Deputy Alan Strickland. So you have to read that news. Obviously, you're passionate and you have an opinion on it. But in when it, you're sitting on the desk, you can't just go full Tim and Sid and have a moment and just absolutely go off. So my question to you is, how can you handle that so that you're portraying the news and reporting the facts as they are? How personal can you get with it? Can you get personal at all? Is can you just go a, like how does that work? Because Ian and I are both very emotional people. It would be difficult for us. You being a professional, how can you handle that situation? Oh, and you said it, Sean. I mean, like everyone has their opinions on on certain things, right? And I think that just comes from from training and and being in the business for as long as you know someone like Ken Reed or Ivanka Osmak has been doing this. And you just have to know the situation you're in, right? So you said it, like when you're doing Sportsnet Central and you're on the desk or Sports Center or whatever, 
you're essentially giving the news of the day. And yes, you can put your spin on certain things and show your personality. But at the end of the day, that's not the platform for you to just go all like skip Bayless on someone and, you know, make everyone hear your opinion at the top of your lungs, right? So you, basically you have they, have, keep- they have other people for that. You are just reporting what's going on in that moment. Exactly. You have to know your role in that situation. And listen, if you have your own radio show or your podcast, yes, of course you can go off and and share your opinions. But in that particular situation, your job is, okay, read the news, you know, don't be biased here, tell people what's going on. And then let's throw it to, you know, our basketball experts who will have more on this. And they can sort of break it down and and give their opinions on the situation. Right? Can you get a few jabs in though? Like I notice sometimes when I'm watching, like all of a sudden, like they'll pull away from the recorded clips that they have of say Michael Grange, and it comes back to them. They have that like kind of like 15 second moment where they're kind of talking back and forth, and it's like, well, you know, um, it's he's going to get his due, or you know, this wasn't this is a, a big big. Uh, clarification for Masai. Can, can you have a little bit of those moments? And, and I know we don't see it often. But is that okay in the industry? Yes, yes. And I think at this point now, it's definitely okay. Because like I was saying, you know, you go back, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, you had to be, you know, when you're sitting at the desk, Mr. or Mrs. Professional, right? Like, I'm just going to give the news of the day and I'm not going to show my allegiances or my opinions. But I honestly, I think nowadays it's important to to show that authenticity, right? And I think, you know, with the way sports media is going now, I think authenticity is, is the most important thing. And, and that's something that I was always thinking about too. It's, you know, cause growing up, you know, I wanted to be that person on the desk, right. Who was, you know, doing the highlights and, you know, showing the news of the day and whatnot. But then at some point you're like, you know what, I want to do other things as well. Right. I want to show my personality and I want to, you know, share my thoughts and opinions on on my favorite sports and the things you know that i've been watching the last 20 years right so i think nowadays it's definitely okay to add in a little spice here and there even when you only have 15 20 seconds so yeah i'm i'm totally cool with that yeah well good thing i have my own podcast fuck alan strickland (laughs) see you guys can say whatever you want yeah and you know what so on that note i was gonna say that too that guy is a real piece of shit and you know what? We love you, Messiah, and we're with you. So, Anthony, final question regarding broadcasting. Then let's start talking about some sports, okay? I am a big, you know, Mount Rushmore guy. So, you know, when I look back at my life 20 years from now, it's always interesting to me that, you know, I, if I said, this is my Mount Rushmore of NBA players from that era or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right now, when you think about it, what is your Mount Rushmore? of broadcasters so whether that's whether that's in studio or whether that's play-by-play guys are there are there are there people that jump out to you that you're like those are the people that i really look up to yeah i mean there's there's a lot of different guys and i would Mount say only has four anthony only has four i know i know i i want to put i want to put like seven or eight broadcasters on this but um one big one i mean this dude's just a straight-up legend is dan patrick Oh yeah, of course. I, I think How just, do we not bring up him yet? He is so so good. I mean, he's he's got to be one of the best ever. I mean, he's he's up there in the goat conversation. So I look at a guy like Dan Patrick. I'm you know staying in the states. I'm also a really big fan of Colin Coward. I just I just admire. His I told ability. you, Ian. 
I admire his ability wow. to just carry a show essentially by himself. And I know he's bringing on guests and he has Joy Taylor with him there, but it's a lot different when you have, you know, two people on a show and it's just one guy carrying it himself. So that's why I really like Colin Coward. And then when you, when you look at, at Canada, I mean, I have always admired, you know, the chemistry that Jay and Dan have had. And I know True. they don't have the same job as, you know, a Dan Patrick or, you know, a Colin Coward for that matter. But yeah, when, when I look at Ken, and even a guy like Darren Detition, who Ian, I think Beast. you brought up a little earlier. I mean, Darren Detition, I mean, he was one of the guys, you know, I watched just doing the highlights every morning and I almost wanted to be, I don't want to say exactly like him, but I just loved his style so much. So I think Canada, you got Jay and Dan, Darren Detition, Gino Retta, that those guys are, are right up there. I mean, Jennifer Hedger as well. She's amazing too. And, and you know, Detition is like our Stu Scott almost. Yeah. I think, I, you know... I, with the, you know, with the swagger he has, the fact that he's yoked, absolutely yoked. Oh, he's and so jacked. So yoked. And, like, he's got, like, catchphrases and stuff. Like, I don't know. He seems like he's just, like, a cool cat. And I think, you know, that's what Stu had. Stu had, like, you just, you watch TV and you're like, how cool would it be to be that dude's friend? Yeah. No, absolutely. And then that goes back to the whole, like, relatability thing, right? I right. Mean, I think that's the most important thing is like, you got to be relatable to your audience and you're not going to relate to everybody. Like that's not, everyone's going to like you. That's impossible to do. But, um, you know, if your ability to sort of relate to, you know, different people is, is, is going to be the most important thing at the end of the day. So yeah, I mean, Mount Rushmore, man, that's really tough. Cause like all those people I mentioned, I mean, I got to pick four from that to put on. That's, Man, that's tough. But well, and you let you left out Stuart Scott, who I know you have. A I lot mean, of yeah, I mean Stuart for, Scott. Right? I mean, like we said, he's he he's right up there. In the he may be on his own mountain. He's on he's on his own mountain. Know. Yeah. So yeah, I I on Rushmore that dude. I, I wouldn't have put Coward up, but you're right. Like doing that for that long by yourself is wild. It's wild. But we've done broadcasting. We've taken up a lot of your time, but we still have some time left. And I want to spend it talking about sports, Mr. Bruno. And the big topic that is near and dear to our hearts, Ian's only a fake Leaf fan, is the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I know that they're, they are no longer in the Stanley Cup playoffs. They didn't even make the Stanley Cup playoffs. They lost in five to Columbus, which we've talked about enough. Obviously a disappointing exit, disappointing all-around season. What's your take? All right, so like I told you guys, I'm a Leaf fan, but I'm also someone who can look at look at this entire situation and be rational about it as well. And or at least I think I can. Yeah, Leaf fan and, that's rational. You're the first one. <laughs> and my whole take on the situation is I honestly don't think they're that far away from being a really good team. And I think I think people have to look at at this past year and realize just how insane it was from a Leafs perspective. How uh, you come into the season with Mike Babcock and a lot of people thought that he was going to get fired in the off season. I mean, even I was in that camp. I, I did not think Dubis was going to bring him back. So he brings him back. It all starts with, you know, scratching Jason Spezza on opening night. And then next thing you know, they win nine of their first 23 games. It's a total disaster. You know, Sheldon Keefe comes in and what a lot of people forget is that Sheldon Keefe actually did a pretty good job in his 47 regular season games as head coach. I mean, what, I've you were very this. vocal. You were very vocal about Keefe. You know, you, I, yeah. I saw your tweet about it. You publicly came out and defended him. And, you know, I felt that he was outcoached 
in the series, didn't do himself any favors in game five, but you agree it's definitely too, it's definitely premature to, to gas the guy. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I know people were sort of, you know, getting on Keith for, you know, what he was doing with his lines and how he, you know, he was stacking the Matthews, Marner, Tavares line and how Tortorella coached him and this and that, but it's like, can we give this guy more than 52 games during a pandemic to put his mark on this team? I mean, I, I get it. I get it. Leafs nation is so passionate. You know, you they always want to point the finger at somebody, but I think in Sheldon Keefe's case, give the guy a little bit of time. I mean, if you just look, the Leafs had the eighth best record in the NHL since he took over. They were the number one offense in the league, the second ranked power play. They improved in goals against per game. They improved the penalty kill. They improved across the board with Sheldon Keefe in control. And, and listen, the, the glaring weakness of the Leafs, and I think we all know this, is the decor, right? You know, Morgan Riley, I, I'm a big Morgan Riley guy. I think he's a stud. Jake Muzzin, great player. But, I mean, you need to improve the depth of that decor. And I think the further the Leafs had gone in the playoffs, if they had gotten past Columbus, I think they were probably going to get exposed at some point, whether that was, you know, against a Boston or a Tampa or even a Philadelphia for that. Wait, matter, wait, wait, right? wait, wait. So, they lost, Anthony. They were exposed anyways. I understand that, but I don't I don't think that I don't think the team defense was the issue in that series. No, I mean you're right. they couldn't score. That that was the problem, right? They they couldn't score. Jonas Corpusalo was playing like Dominic Hasek in his prime. And, you know, the big four forwards, right? They had their moment in the in the comeback game in game four when you thought, okay. You know, something finally, something good finally happened to the Leafs. They just pulled off the greatest comeback in franchise history. They're definitely going to win game five. And then they let you down again and they get shut out in game five, right? So at the end of the day, I don't think the Leafs are that far off. And I think people just have to pump the brakes a little bit. And I think Dubas is smart enough to make adjustments in the offseason. And I'm really interested to see what they're going to do in a full season with Sheldon Keith. All right. So... I I agree with your stuff on Keith. I completely agree. But at what point do we start looking at this roster and just decide that it's not good enough? Right? I mean, I think, you know, the forwards, you can talk me into the three eleven million dollar guys. You know, um Nylander had a great regular season, disappeared for long, long stretches uh in the Columbus playing series. And look, like I'm sorry. I love Jason Spezza. Okay. But you know, you, there are five forwards on that roster that are either redundant or ineffective. And then you go to the back end and you're looking at what four to five defensemen that are, that are redundant or ineffective. And then you go to a goalie who is getting worse every year. I mean, I look, I, I think obviously the roster construction is a major, major concern. And is there it's a question not here. Because it, it's, be. it's just making no, me feel bad. But there will be. Because it's a roster construction issue that's not going to be able to be fixed in, in an offseason. That's my number one concern. My, my next concern is the reason that Masai Ujiri is such an amazing executive is because he sits back and understands you have to make the impossibly tough decisions. Trading DeMar DeRozan, impossibly tough. Firing Dwayne Casey, impossibly tough. Is Kyle Dubas going to be able to make those tough decisions. Now, firing Mike Babcock, some would say that's oh, a tough decision. Well, it isn't because he thought he was a dickhead. So let's take that one out of it. Are, are we really saying that this team is going to be fixed 
in one summer when they've progressively been getting worse over the past three seasons? Yeah, I mean, if you want to look at it from just a pure, you know, points perspective and, you know, even I guess how they've looked at times, right? You could, you could make the argument that they have regressed, right? And Freddie Anderson has not been good the last couple of years, right? I mean, he was great in the playoffs this year. I don't think he was the issue. He had to put in a couple soft goals, but, yep. you know. Let's in he, soft goals in elimination games. It's yeah. starting to become a bit of a thing. Okay, let him go. And, and the big problem with the Leafs, obviously, as we all know, is the salary cap at this point, right? And and I do think that Dubis is going to be more patient than people think just because I think he knows too. And again, I don't want to you know go totally back to the Sheldon Keefe thing, but I think he wants to give his guy who he you know came up through hockey with an opportunity to coach this team for 82 games right and see where they land at that point but Fair. i but i think at some point you know you're probably going to have to look at trading one of those big four forwards right and i know everyone's just like oh trade nylander you know he's the easiest contract to move but you know kind of like you alluded to with Masai, where you know he trades demar derozan brings in Kawhi. like i don't know at some point do the leafs have to look at moving like a John Tavares or a Mitch Marner. I mean, personally, I don't think it's the time to do that. I, I don't think they're at that point yet. I think you have to find a way to upgrade the decor. And like I said, right, with a lack of cap space, there's really not much the Leafs can do. But again, going back to what I said, how far off do you guys really think they are from being competitive? Because we've seen, I mean, look what just happened to Pittsburgh. Right. Look what's happening to Washington against the New York Islanders. Right. Look what happened to Washington for almost a a 10 year span before they broke through. Right. True. And I think, but I think those cups, obviously for Pittsburgh, there were multiple, but I think the cups obviously help. I I mean, here's the thing though. Um, First of all, number one, I think Masai Ujiri would trade his grandmother if it meant that it would improve the Raptors. That's number one. Kyle Dubas ain't trading his grandmother. Okay. Number two, more importantly, he's a great follow on Twitter. I know. Great follow on Twitter. And we're gonna tra- he is we're gonna transition to more broader NHL stuff because the Leafs are out they're relevant right now, but you're watching these games as I'm sure you know Sean is I am I'm sure you're watching intently. Do you really get the impression that you watch the Leafs right now and they could play in these series and they can play in these games? Because I tell you, Montreal was supposed to be the worst team in here. Montreal is playing on a different. They're playing a different game altogether. I, like I don't see the Leafs hanging with any of these teams, and maybe that's an intensity thing. Maybe it's something that they don't have. I obviously Montreal isn't as skilled, but they, they, I, I don't. I'm not under the impression they could beat any of these teams. And and here's the thing with the Leafs: when they're at their best, they can beat anyone. And we and we saw it at times during the regular season, right? Very fair. You know, Very some fair. big wins against Tampa and Pittsburgh and and Boston for that matter. But I think the big thing with the Leafs is like just bringing it, especially this team this year, bringing it on a nightly basis. That was just non-existent. I mean, it was a Jekyll and Hyde act essentially all season. You just did not know what you were going to get. And then when you look at a team like the Colorado Avalanche, who I personally think is going to win the Stanley Cup, I mean, just to see how dominant they can be on a nightly basis. Them in Tampa. Yeah, them and, and Tampa Bay, and you could even you know put Boston in this category as well. And I don't know if it's you know 
well, I mean, I guess for the Boston Bruins, right, you have, you know, Marshawn and Bergeron and, and Chara and Krejci and these guys who have obviously done it, you know, so many times, right? I don't know if it's a matter of, you know, having all these dudes that have been there and done that. But yeah, I mean, you would like to see the Leafs get to that level where on a nightly basis and especially in a playoff series from game to game, you know what you're going to get and that the intensity is going to be there. And that is something that we have yet to see from this team. And I don't know how you fix that, right? Because you look at Austin Matthews. I don't know what you guys saw. I thought he was incredible in the Columbus Fantastic. series. Fantastic. I thought he was just dominating. The, every time he was on the ice, he was generating something in the offensive zone, right? But then, you know, you guys also alluded to a guy like Nylander where it's like, you know, he'll just go invisible for three games. It's like, where did this guy go? You're like, so, I don't know. did he dress today? You're like, <laughs> you're setting at a missing persons report. You're like, where's the guy with the long hair? Well, and I think we, Anthony, obviously you listen to every single podcast that we do with bated breath. So Thanks, you would man. know course, that, 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 I, that I mentioned that I think that, you know, where a lot of the transition is going to have to come from is going to be from the bottom six because they're paying too much money to their third line to not be able to do enough. And along with that, I think the biggest sense of hope and optimism for this team has to stem from number 34 because we always knew he could score goals but what he's done to transition his game into a 200 foot game is truly remarkable and it allows you to go into the offseason understanding okay well we got a blue chip guy like we have a guy yes we may be overpaying someone who's on the decline we may be overpaying someone who did not handle the pressure as well as he could have in mitch marner and Yes, William Nylander, Ian, I agree. He, he went invisible, but again, I think he was thrust into kind of a bit of an impossible situation in game five. Doesn't excuse him for the first four games. So to me, I just think that that's where the big transition needs to come from is in the bottom six. And it's going to be Shani, interesting to Shani, see Shani, where Shani, that goes. Shani, come on. He makes $7 million a year. Figure it out. No, I, and I You're think good that, enough. Figure it out. Find uh, a way to appear. Okay. Uh, to me, he's not my concern. It was more, it was more the Mitch and John game one. And it was just, it was, it was everyone and everyone deserves blame. And to me, the only one who doesn't is Austin Matthews, but Anthony, you mentioned that you have Colorado as your cup favorite. Who is going to be your Stanley cup final? Ian picked I had Colorado and Tampa. Ian picked who? Oh, you reserve the right not to choose. So Ian can pick after you because now we're... Well, I did say don't sleep on Carolina and that went poorly. And they went to sleep. So Anthony, who's your cup final? So I always had Colorado coming out of the West. I mean, this is just going back to before the restart. I mean, I just love everything about that team. Just a phenomenal all-around team. You know, obviously led by Nathan McKinnon. In my opinion, probably the second best player in the world behind Connor McDavid. But... In the East, I was sort of flip-flopping back back and forth from Tampa and Boston. And, you know, when Hedman went down and it looked like, you know, he tore his ankle or something, right? I was like, okay, I'm off the Tampa train. You know, Hedman's out. There's absolutely no way this team can go deep without Victor Hedman. And then he comes back out of nowhere. Um, but at that point, I had already kind of switched over to the Boston Bruins. And I'm sticking with that. Um, I think it's going to be Colorado and Boston. In the cup final, and listen, I know that Tuka Rask left the bubble, and he's, you know, that's obviously a big hit to the Bruins because, you know, as good as Halak is, he's not as good as Tuka Rask, but I still love everything about the Boston Bruins. They were obviously the number one team in the league during the regular season. They're incredible defensively. I mean, we all know what 
with the production they get out of the out of Marshawn Bergeron and Pasternak. Krejci, what's what David Krejci, man, comes so playoff underrated. time. Oh. That dude just always shows Would up. I mean, him. he's I, that he's one of the Can't most underrated him. players in the game. So, so yeah, I'm going with I'm going with the Colorado uh, Boston Cup final, and uh, Colorado is going to be my pick to win the Stanley Cup. So we've don't, talked hockey. Uh, don't sleep on Vegas either. By the way, no, the, the, that's that's the conference finals in the West. But yeah. we've oh, yeah. Vegas hockey. is Vegas is legit so good for sure. So good. We've talked hockey and we've talked broadcasting, but there's another love of the three of us, and that is the Toronto Raptors. And we've seen them go up 2-0 in a series with the Nets. We've seen a microcosm of everything that they are, which is extremely limited and extremely talented, all within a eight-quarter span. So, Anthony, I pose a question to you, and then I pose a question to Ian, because we want to do this, and then we want to get to quick hitters before we sign off. Who are the Raptors' three best players, and what order would you put them in? Oh, man, that is such a tough question, because I have been on the Pascal Siakam bandwagon, you know, for a while. And are, you dri- are you driving the bandwagon? I, I'm, I'm, I think you yes. may be driving the bandwagon. Yeah, I have to say, say I have to I'm, cut in. I am driving the Pascal Siakam bandwagon. I was at the home opener when they started him in his rookie season with people saying this guy's going to be great. He turned out not to be at first, but Anthony, you and I are in the front seat. Okay. Buddy. Okay. I'll, I'll sit in the passenger seat. I'll let you drive, Sean. I'll be in the passenger seat. That's totally cool with me. But I, yeah, I am definitely a Pascal Siakam guy. And I mean, it's tough because over the first couple of games, we haven't seen the Pascal that we saw, you know, certain moments in the regular season, going back to last year's NBA Finals when he went off for 32 in game one against Golden State. And I want Pascal to be that guy, to be the dude in the fourth quarter who when the Raptors need a bucket, and when things are tightening up, you know, tightening up defensively, I want Pascal to be that guy. But right now, I mean, the way that Fred is playing, I mean, this dude just can't miss a you shot. You can come on this podcast anytime. I mean, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. And you know what? I'm still going to go, okay, here, here's what I'm going to do. I'm still going to go Pascal one. Okay. And I'm going, oh man, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm okay. I'm going to go Fred two and Kyle three. That's tough because I want to put Kyle ahead, but just the way that Fred is playing right now, I mean, he can just do it all. And he has, he really has become the Raptors' most reliable player in Without time. question. Without yeah. question. And, and look, like, Kyle Lowry is the most important Raptor, period, full stop. The, the only way the Raptors chug along is with Kyle Lowry running things. And to me, the team's best player in the bubble, the best player they have right now is Fred VanVleet. And... He is everything you want your starting point guard to be. He is a dog defensively. He can shoot, not quite like Dame, but he can shoot from the parking lot. He drives like Lowry, draws fouls, you know, runs your offense. He sets the tone. He's Kyle. What he's Kyle Lowry. They're the same player. And, and I think, that's I think what, Kyle's better at running the offense right now, but obviously that's going to come with time and experience. And but he took a massive leap this year because I remember you and I talked. Obviously, we talk. We're freaking brothers for God's sake. But I said like you kept saying Fred's better than Kyle. Fred's better than Kyle because you have this love hate relationship with Kyle. This is pre title, and I kept telling you, but Fred can't run the offense like he can, which I still believe is true. 
but man, has he been impressive. Is, there's no, is, there's, there's no amount of money that I don't give him. Like, unless he's like, Hey, I want the supermax. It's like, well, okay, you're not eligible. So chill. But to me, yeah, I mean, if he's like, look, I want five, 125, I'm like, okay, where would you like me to sign? And I think, you know, I, I think it's Fred one, Kyle two, and Siakam three. And, and that's not dogging Siakam. I mean, if anything, I like Siakam in a more secondary role anyway. I like when he's defending the other team's second best player because OG swallows the other guy whole, whoever the hell, the, whoever the hell Brooklyn's best player, I guess Karis Levert right now. Um, but I like Siakam in that role. I like him as a secondary scorer because if he's not scoring, it means he's cutting. It means he's spotting up. It means he's setting screens. He's rolling. I'm good with all that. So to me right now, Fred Van Vliet is our best player. And it's, I, you know, I, I'm sorry. I'm just not even convinced it's close right now. No, and I, I totally see where you're coming from because he has been the Raptors' best player in the bubble. I mean, that's there's just no doubt about it. But here's the thing, right? Can Fred Van Vliet, do you want him to be that guy? Can he be that guy, you know, against the Boston Celtics in a seven-game series, against Milwaukee, against the Lakers, against the Clippers? I mean, I just feel like if the – I still – I'm still waiting for the moment, okay? And things are going well for the Raptors now. They had a great regular season. Raptors fans are, are on an all-time high. You know, they're feeling disrespected. They all know how, how good this team is, but – when push comes to shove and the Raptors get into a situation like last year against the Sixers, right? You guys remember that game seven where everyone no one, no was one afraid to shoot, to shoot except no Kawhi shoot. in that game, right? Yep. Yep. I want to see what happens when they're in a situation like that. Who's going to be the guy? And I think yeah, that moment true. is going to come Very at fair. some point. And and can it be Fred? Are you guys confident it can be Fred? Well, I think that I think your point, I think your point is is key. And you brought up the Celtics. And the 76ers, and we're, we're going to get to that in one second. But really quick for me, and I think to agree with Anthony, I think that if they're going to win the title, I don't think Fred can be their best player. I, think I completely it ha- agree. I, th- I think it has I to completely be, I, I think it has to be Pascal, which means that he rose to another level. I agree. I, I completely agree. I, but if you ask me right now, Fred is our best player. That's not Agreed. to say that when it comes time to drive the bus, Pascal's not, you know, tapping Fred on the shoulder and saying, "Let me drive." I still think it's Kyle personally. He's mine, but but that's it. He does and so much little stuff. Like we're, he's we're unbelievable. Up, but we're up two nothing. We don't want to look past the Nets. But Ian, let's look past the Nets. I've, I've, I've done that already. Uh, if if let's Sean and I played this game and we played it with our, our last guest too, who's you know big in the Raptors Twitter community um, and just all-time great guy. Him and I agreed on who the biggest threat to the Raptors was and Sean disagreed. So I'll ask you, who is the biggest threat to the Toronto Raptors this year? In, in the, the East. East. You know what? It's, it's obviously Milwaukee and Boston. And if I had to pick one team, I mean, this is such... Oh, oh, what's going on there, Sean? You're... <laughs> I'm waiting. I, okay. I'm waiting with bated breath. Okay. If if I had to pick one team, oh God, because they both they both had the Raptors number this year in the regular right. season. You You're know correct. what? I'm I'm still oh man, I'm still going with Milwaukee. And it's Thank so, you. It's Thank so, you. So so close because it is man, close. I Boston think, is damn good and the Hayward thing matters. 
It, it, yeah, the Hayward injury definitely matters. And my big thing with Boston is that I was just thinking about the Eastern Conference, right? If I had to pick one dude right now to score me 30 in a playoff game and make big buckets in the fourth quarter, I'm taking Jason Tatum. Ooh, that and, dude's and, a baller. And Ooh. that's why, and that's why I, I was very, very close to saying Boston, but I still want to give Milwaukee the benefit of the doubt. And I know they lost game one. You know, they bounced back in game two. I still want to give them the benefit of the doubt. They had a historically dominant season when you look True. at a point differential perspective. I mean, Giannis is incredible. I do still have, you know, concerns about, you know, Chris Middleton and their secondary scoring. And honestly, even Fair. for that matter, Giannis, you know, creating his own shot late in, late in very close games, right? Because he hasn't even really proven that yet. But I'm still going to give the Bucks the benefit of the doubt and say that they will be the Raptors' toughest test. And we're right. That's that's all that matters. <laughs> so, starting to rethink you being able to come on the podcast anytime. We were so oh, close. He, he's coming on. He's coming on. Uh, you guys so we're at our me back. We're at our last segment, Mr. Bruno. It's called quick hitters. So we're going to throw out kind of a this or that uh, different scenario, and your answer is basically pick one. Yes or no, neither or both. Okay? Okay. Yeah, if you're uncomfortable with a question, you don't have to answer. Okay. So I'm going to go first. Joe Bowen or Jim Houston? Joe Bowen. 100%. Favorite pasta noodle? Ooh. Penny. Vince Carter or DeMar DeRozan? Vince Carter. I think I know the answer to this one. Joe Buck or Al Michaels? I'm a Joe Buck guy. I've always been a Joe Buck guy. Is a hot dog a sandwich? No, absolutely not. It's not a sandwich. Of what the hell not. is that? Yes, it is. Not. No, Are it is you? Not. Oh my god, that is outrageous. <laughs> it's, just, it's between a piece of bread. It's a sandwich. It's uh, Brian McCabe or Thomas Caberly? Oh man, this is oh for me. This is really close. Caberly, give me Caberly. Will the Leafs win a Stanley Cup in your lifetime? Yes, 100%. I, I wish you a long and healthy life. <laughs> uh, greatest sports heartbreak. Greatest sports heartbreak. Well, I guess for me, that's, that's easy. It's the, uh, it's the 4-1 collapse against the Boston Bruins. That was, that was devastating. So Just not, brutal. The, not, the, not the Jays, <laughs> Kansas City? I mean, that's up there, too. I mean, those Jays teams in 2015 and 2016 were so good. Should have won but the man, that, that Leafs collapse. I mean, that was just when you thought they were going to turn the corner and actually, you know, finally win a playoff series and maybe go deep into the playoffs. With a dog You know, we all knew they weren't even that good. Right. But, I mean, just for that to happen, it's like, oh, God. I mean, that's, yeah, that's but, number one. But you've listened doubt. to all the podcasts. So you know that we did a heartbreak episode it's and that very was number leaf. one. Yes. Um, Bo Bichette or Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? Man, that's another tough one, too. Um, Is it? it? Like, okay, right now it's Bo, 100%. I would like to think that Vlad... I, I'm on the record as saying I think Vlad has, like, Miguel Cabrera potential. But my goodness, the way so that what Bo a reference going, that is! It's a tough I mean, record to be on right like now. Vlad, <laughs> just the way I mean, the way he was hyped as a prospect and how he tore through the minor leagues, and he's at the Raptor game getting presented with his own jersey. No one's even talking about Bo Bichette, and now Bo Bichette looks like he's going to be a freaking superstar. It's unbelievable. So yeah, no, right now it's it's one million percent Bo Bichette. But if you could, if the Blue Jays are forced to pick one, which one are you picking? 
based on what I see now, Bo Bichette just, I, you know, of and course. I don't want to, I don't want to like body shame Vlad Guerrero, but you just look at Bo and just his ability to pretty much do anything on a baseball field. And you could just see he has the flair. I mean, you, you could just see that dude four or five years from now. Like, I think he can legitimately be in the conversation as like one of the best players in baseball. Like, yeah. I, we're, I, there's like some Nolan Arenado type potential there where it's like well, and, and you talked about body shame we we already did that on this podcast we had to publicly apologize so don't worry about that well no i mean look i think there's some potential where because he he's so balanced as a player whereas vlad like if he's not hitting like what is he doing for you and look like i don't I, i'm a red sox fan like i supported david ortiz for years and i don't i never gave a shit how heavy he was as long as you hit doesn't matter to me uh i think bichette's the guy too last one would you come on this podcast again of course, you guys better invite me on this podcast again. So we're at the end, Anthony. Please, everyone, make sure you follow Anthony Bruno on Twitter. Uh, make sure you subscribe and follow the Anthony Bruno Show. Anthony, why don't you throw out your, uh, your handles for everyone right now? Yeah, so you can pretty much find me anywhere, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, at Anthony M. Bruno. You can find me on YouTube, Anthony Bruno, and that's where I have the Anthony Bruno show. And uh, yeah, so really, I'm not a hard guy to find. Just go on social media, type in my name, and you'll see where I'm at. Anthony, thank you so much for coming on. Again, this has been another edition of the From the Stands podcast. Ian, sign him off, boy. Thank you to Anthony Bruno. Another amazing guest. We're so lucky to have him. And everybody stay safe out there. Make sure you wear your mask. Peace.